Sounds good. Good deal. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Well, good evening. <laughs> well, there are a few of you out there. Anybody else out there? Good evening. Oh, there we go. Okay. Um, glad to be here tonight. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank church for the opportunity to come and speak. Let's see. Who was here last week? Okay. So most of you were. Okay, good. I'm going to do just a little bit of review just in case you all didn't remember everything I said last week. Okay. Um, and then I'm going to move into... Uh, a little more science um, and talk about the four impossible things you need to believe to be an atheist. Okay, the four impossible things I think you need to believe. And we'll talk about that. But last last time um, I talked about I laid a foundation for what I'm going to talk about tonight. Uh, and the, that foundation is the authority of the scripture, I believe. And I provided you a lot of reasons to try to convince you um, that the Bible is the Word of God and that the Bible is true from beginning to end. Okay, and I hope a lot of you were already there, okay, but uh, that was what I tried to do last week. And I talked a couple of times um, about, can everybody see this okay? Everybody, okay. I talked a, a couple of times, um, <coughs> excuse me, and somebody had asked me a question. Uh, and brought this up. Uh, there, there, there's a lot of ways to defend Scripture, but I talked basically about one mainly, and that was an evidence-based approach where I provided you evidence of why I thought the Bible was true. Okay, like the prophecies have come true, um, like the consistency of the Bible, like that the Bible's never been modified like your science textbooks have, okay, and, but, and it's still reliable. Uh, and so I provided you some evidence-based things, but there's also, somebody asked me about what's actually called a presuppositional approach, okay? And they, in, that, in that approach, you presuppose that the Bible is true, and then you try to defend that, okay? And many try to do that, um, and, and it's a powerful argument. And what, what you basically do is say, I'm going to stand on that foundation that the Bible is true. Okay, and then you try to defend that. And when somebody tries to argue against that, what you do is try to ask them, well, what's your foundation? Okay, uh, and, and often what you'll find is that people that argue against the Bible will say, well, they'll actually be using a foundation that's, that's based on God. Okay, they'll be using a foundation like logic. Okay, so if this universe is a result of a random process, then why should we expect logic to be true? Why, why would there be logic if this is just a random universe? Um, or, um, uh, and well, even, even science itself, and I didn't talk about that a lot, but how is it that we can do science? Okay, how is it that I can go in the laboratory and do an experiment today and then go in the laboratory and do an experiment tomorrow and get the same result? Okay, well, we have to believe that there's some logic, some laws that this universe follows in order for that to be true, right? Because if this were a totally random universe, 
then I might get one result today and a different result tomorrow. And so what good would it do to study science if I get a different result by doing the same thing every day? Okay, and so so a presuppositional approach presumes that there's some logic and some laws that this universe is based on rather than a random process. And so so people don't often think about that, right? When you're doing science, do you think about, well, I can't really do science unless things follow normally follow rules and laws. And so so that's an important thing I think to think about. And so and we also last week talked about do we trust God's word? Okay? And if if I were to ask you to raise your hands tonight, many of you would raise your hands real quick, right? We all trust God's word, but do we completely and well, did Adam and Eve completely trust God's word? Well, not exactly. Uh, that was a point where they didn't, obviously, and that's how things got going wrong from the beginning. Um, and today I just wanted to warn you that out there, and I, and I did last week, that there are a number of pastors now that want to focus just on Christ and his resurrection. And, of course, there's nothing wrong with that because that's the basis of Christianity. That's what separates us from other religions. But... But I believe that the scriptures are important and um, and are true. And many of those pastors want to shy away, particularly from the from the verses that I'm going to talk about tonight, which are related to the first few chapters of Genesis. Okay, in terms of um, in terms of how did we get here? Okay, and that kind of thing. And so they particularly want to shy away from those. So tonight I want to try to take you in that area and show you that I believe that science and the Bible fit together perfectly well. And I will show you how I believe that's true. Uh, and, and another thing it, it often that, that pastors forget is that Jesus Jesus believed the Scriptures, right? Jesus, uh, matter of fact, um, he often quoted from the Scriptures. I didn't show you this last week, but oh, that's kind of fuzzy. I hope you can read it. It's that Matt, uh, uh, Jesus says in, in Matthew 19:4, and he's talking to the Pharisees, and he says to the Pharisees, have you not read? Okay, now why would that be strange to say to the Pharisees? Well, what did the Pharisees spend their time doing? They spent their time reading the Bible and following the rules, right? And reading their scriptures and following the rules. And so Jesus said to them, have you not read that he created them from the beginning, male and female? Okay, and so Jesus was actually quoting the scriptures. And I mentioned last week, too, I, I said it's not a good idea to decide which parts of the Bible that you're going to accept as true, right? That, does that get us into trouble? It can, right? Because it's awfully, we often want to, we wish the Bible had said it the way that we think it ought to say it, right? Because that's the way we think it ought to be true. But, but what we really want to do is search and try to find what, how God inspired the writers to write and exactly what message was he trying to give to us. And so that's what I'd encourage you to do is to look at the Bible that way rather than say, rather than try to make it say what, what you'd like for it to say. I know that's a great temptation for me. Okay. And I ask you, um, this another thing real quick here. I ask you, does the creator of the universe understand science? Okay, and most of you got the answer right on that one. Okay, which is what? Well, of course he does, right? You can't create something that you don't understand. And so and so I believe that God created the universe. But I also believe that God inspired the writing of the scriptures. 
And so if he created the universe and knows how he did it and he inspired the writing of scriptures, I'd expect the two that the scriptures would would be consistent with what we see in science. Not necessarily a science textbook, okay, but at least consistent with what we see. And so I talked about that. And then just real quickly, um, I talked about evidence just a little bit uh, and how people look, often different people look at the same evidence and they come to a different conclusion about what happened in the past. All right? And so you could look at these rocks and and I would look at these rocks and say, okay, I believe they were laid down by the flood, the global flood that the Bible talks about. Okay? Another scientist, a secular scientist, might look at that and say, well, I believe those rock layers were laid down over millions of years in a slow process. Okay? And so we're both looking at the same evidence, but we don't, but we have a different worldview. We have a different view of how the world is. Okay? And what is our, what's our real problem is we can't know how those rock layers were laid down, right? Because we can't go back into time. And so that's why I also talked last week about the two different kinds of science, okay? Historical science, which is talking about those rock layers and saying, well, how did those rock layers get here? And can we run experiments to prove how those rock layers got there? Now, we can't do that, can we? Because we'd have to go back in time to do that. And so... Uh, so that's historical science where we use science. We do use science to look back and to make our best guess about what happened in the past. And that's what the folks looking at the rock layers are doing. They're, they're trying to make their best guess about what happened. But we can't know in historical science what happened in the distant past. But with experimental science, we can do that. I can do an experiment today, I said, in the lab, and I can do one tomorrow, and I can do one next week. And I can I can look at those results and try to determine what what's true about those things that I did. And so so we can be much more sure about experimental science, things that we do in the present, than we can when we're trying to figure out what happened in the distant past. Okay? So does that does that make sense to everybody? Is everybody up to speed? And and I'm glad to answer questions at any point, okay? And so just stop me, just raise your hand and stop me if I said something that, if you're lost, okay? And so so just uh, stop me, I'm glad to do that. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Court. Oh, you were trying to figure out what that means? Yeah. <laughs> That's that's a good no. That's a real good question, um, and I bet a lot of people are thinking about that. Let me, matter of fact, let me just stop and 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 talk about that for a minute because what you'd probably think is that let's say just think about a flood that you've seen pictures of. Okay, what 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 happens when there's a flood? Okay, there's a tremendous amount of damage, right? There's a tremendous amount of mud and rock that are carried away and land somewhere else, right? And you'd think. Just thinking about it, that all that rock and mud is going to be all mixed up and it's just going to be in one layer. And as you said, it's all going to drop out in one layer, right? That's not what happens. It's amazing. What happens is that even in a turbulent flood like that, things get laid down in layers. Okay? And I know it's, I know it's crazy, but all scientists would agree. All scientists that have studied that would agree with that today. Okay? And so, 
And so you have, and so, and so the, you know, the fine stuff will come down at one point, the heavier stuff will come down faster, and even in a dramatic flood, you get layers. And so what science is what you'd expect to happen if there'd been a worldwide flood is that you're going to have, a, you're going to have an unimaginable amount of sediment and rock and all that stuff. And it's going to be carried along, and at some point, that flow is going to get slow enough that some things are going to start to fall out. And then different things will fall out, and then different things will fall out. And that's how you get layers. Okay? And so they've even seen that. And, and to, just to, to get your point, you remember Mount St. Helens uh, back in 1980? Some of, your, some of us are old enough to remember that. Um, that's what happened there. And there's a volcanic expl uh, eruption, explosion, and all that stuff went down the mountainside. And believe it or not, it got laid down in layers. Okay, and they can see the layers, and all those layers got laid down in a few hours. Okay, so it doesn't take millions of years to lay down layers. Okay, and so and people say, well, the flood, I mean, it, it can't have done that. But if you look at the signs, it really can. And you really can lay stuff down in layers like that. And and I want you to think about this. Who's Who's been to the Grand Canyon? Anybody been to the so several, Oh, a lot of you have been to the Grand Canyon. Okay. When you stand up on the edge of the Grand Canyon, what do you see? You see layer after layer after layer, right? And they're different colors, and they look different. But what, but what do you notice when you look at those layers? They're straight edges almost exactly between every layer. Have you noticed that? That if you look at that, you know, that big white layer that's the second layer down, that's one of the, that's one of the well-known layers. If you look at it, it's almost like a knife edge. If you get up and look close, it's almost like a knife edge between one layer and the next. Now, let's think about that a minute. If, if that layer got laid down over a million years, wouldn't there have been some erosion in that millions of year, in that million years? Why, why would that layer be knife edge straight if it had been laid down over a long period of time? Doesn't really make sense. Okay, but if it were laid down rapidly during a flood and it get you get layers like I described to you, and then before it got really hard, some wa and as the water was coming off the continents after the global flood, if if a lake got formed and then finally the dam broke and that lake kind of washed out, what would happen? Well, you could gouge out something like the Grand Canyon because you could erode it rapidly with rapidly flowing water. You know, they claim that the Grand Canyon was, was, was carved out with a little bit of water over a long period of time. But I think it fits the date a lot better if it's a lot of water over a short period of time. Okay? And to me, that fits, that fits the data better. Okay? And so, and so, I, really, I, my contention is if you look at the Bible and read what it says and try to look back and say, well, does that fit what we see? I think it does. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, good. Any other questions before I, before I get back into this? All right. All right, so let's, um, let's look at the four impossible things you need to believe to be an atheist. Now, I don't know whether, have any of you read Alice in Wonderland or not? Anybody read Alice in Wonderland? Uh, that's where I got this kind of saying. Um, it's the, whoops, come back here. Uh... Okay, hang on a minute. Somehow I got. Okay, okay. Right in Alice in Wonderland, there's a there's the queen in there, and she says this. 
she's talking about believing impossible things. Okay, and that's where I got this phrase. This is, can't you? The queen said in a pitying tone. Is ta- she's talking to Alice? Try again. Draw a long breath and shut your eyes. And then Alice laughed. Well, there's no use trying. She says you can't believe impossible things. Okay, and the and the queen says, I dare say you haven't had much practice. When I was your age, I did it for a half hour a day. And why sometimes I believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. Okay. And so so I wanted you I want you to think about that. But people do, in a sense, believe, I think, impossible things. And so we're going to talk about uh what I think those impossible things are that you have to that you need to believe if you're if you're, if you're gonna be an atheist. Okay, and so but before we do that I want to talk to you a little bit about um, um, what atheists believe, what atheists think about, okay? And because many of you, I bet, haven't haven't interacted with many, uh, and but we're going to over the next few years. I can pretty well guarantee you that we're going to do that. It's going to be more common. Um, and um, I just want to give you a quote or two to get you to help you see how some atheists think. Now, I'm going to show you some quotes from some pretty ardent atheists. So not all atheists clearly uh, are this are this strident. But here's what Richard Dawkins says is one of the more famous atheists. He says, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. And I cut this off because he goes on and on and he gets more awful and more awful about how he describes God in this in this in this quote. And so but one thing I want you to notice is how he describes God. And he says in all fiction. But what I want you to when when you're look when you're listening to atheists, I want you to think about this. Why, Why do they get so mad? Okay, why why do they get so mad about somebody that doesn't exist? Okay. If God doesn't really exist, why do they get so mad? But they do, and and this is often this is often the case with particularly with the most strident ones. Um, here's another quote: um, uh, Faith can be very very dangerous, and deliberately to implant it into a vulnerable mind of an innocent child is a grievous wrong. Okay, that's pretty bad right i mean does that and does that line up with the bible says no the bible says the opposite uh this is the shema um shema shema is the hebrew word for hear uh, or listen hear o israel the lord our god the lord is one you shall love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might these words which i'm commanding you today shall be on your heart you shall teach them to your sons and shall talk to, uh, of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And so it couldn't be much more different, right? Richard Dawkins says it's a terrible thing to um, implant a belief in God in a child, and the Bible says that's exactly what we're supposed to do, and we're supposed to do it diligently. And it's a command. It's not just a good idea, but it's a command from our Lord to do that. Um, Here's another quote from Dawkins, um, and this one's kind of entertaining me. It says, uh, Dawkins says, To be fair, much of the Bible is not systematically evil, but just plain weird. Okay, he says, 
As you would expect of a chaotically cobbled together anthology of disjointed documents, composed, revised, translated, distorted, and improved by hundreds of anonymous authors, editors, copyists, unknown to us and mostly unknown to each other, spanning nine centuries. Uh, for, for those of you that were here last week, does that fit with what I said? Does that description fit with what? It's not even close, is it? It's not almost, essentially none of this is true. It's not chaotically cobbled together. It's, it's, um, it, uh, it has been translated into different languages, but the original languages certainly haven't been distorted. The copies that we have are almost are 99.5% true. Um, the, the process by which the ancient um, Jewish people copied the Bible is incredible. How careful they were. They counted the number of words. Uh, in their, it, it, it just the, the the level of meticulous detail of what they did is just astounding, and so. Um, but many of the atheists try to attack the reliability of God's word in this way, and I just want you to know that there's a lot of evidence out there for the for the reliability of God's word, um, and and this we see in the Bible itself, of course. So let me skip down to verse 20 of Second Peter. It says. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but by men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so, um, and so the Bible, I believe, is God's Word exactly in the original languages, like you said. And another, I think this is the final quote. If you want to read some of these things from Dawkins, you can look at his book, The God Delusion. That's where these quotes came from said i'm against Dawkins says i'm against religion because it teaches us to be satisfied with not understanding the world and that's the view of many atheists okay they believe that religion is a crutch that it's for people that are just not too smart and need help uh, but they also believe that because of what people that are religious believe that they don't want to study the world around them and don't want to know anything about it. I mean, and I'm a scientist, right? I mean, I, I love science, and I have spent a lot of my life studying this world, okay? And so I, I really want to know how God did it, okay? But that's not their goal. They want to know how it came about by accident, okay? And so, so they have a totally different view, but they want to complain that we don't want to study science. And we don't, you know, we don't think it's important. And that's often how they argue in the debates that they have, is that they'll say that we, that the Christians don't believe that science is important, okay, and that we shouldn't. They would say that we should. We would say that you shouldn't even study science. It's a waste of time, okay. And that's clearly, clearly not true, okay. And let me bring you to Psalm 111:10. Uh, the fear. Uh, this is. More, I think, what a Christian perspective would be. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have good understanding. Um, and so that's, of course, not the basis of an atheist, not the fear of the Lord. And then Jeremiah 51:15 says, It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. So who knows all about science? God does, okay, and so, um, and so to start with what he, 
would start with him would make a lot of sense to me. Okay, so let me get into this. What are the four impossible things that you need to believe if you're going to be an atheist? One, the first one is that something came from nothing. Okay, that something came from nothing. Um, you, you've all heard of the Big Bang, right? And so, but what the scientists don't want to talk about is where the stuff from the Big Bang came from, right? Because they'll, they'll be glad to talk about the, the tiniest fraction of a second after, that big, after, that, after the Big Bang, okay? But they don't want to talk about anything before the Big Bang, all right? Because they don't have a good explanation of how it got here. Scientists um, used to believe that the universe was eternal, that it had existed forever, okay? And that actually fits the secular argument better, but now they, now they believe and are convinced that the universe had a beginning, okay? And there are two reasons that they believe the universe had a beginning. One is that the universe is expanding. Who's heard that before? Has anybody ever heard that? Okay, so many of you have. Good. And so there is evidence now that the universe is expanding. And they say, well, if it's expanding, it must have started smaller, and now it's getting bigger. And so it must have had a beginning. Another one says, uh, another argument is the second law of thermodynamics. And I'm not going to get into that. Okay, so I know your eyes will glaze over. But basically what that argument says is that if the universe were eternal that by now it would have run down and we'd have run out of energy and there'd be no stars left and there'd be no energy left, okay? And so that's what the second law says, that over time things get more random and the energy runs down. And so by a long time there would be no energy left. And so, and so that one makes sense too. But let me just show you that real quickly the argument about how the universe is getting is expanding. Oh, that's a bit out of focus, but uh, what scientists do is look at the light that comes from stars, and they found that the light that comes from stars, the wavelengths are longer than they expected, okay? And so what does that mean? That means that the stars are moving away from us, okay? Who? Uh, let me try to help you with that. Uh, who's, who's, listened, who's stood on, on the road and listened to an ambulance? come towards you and then go away from you. What do you notice when you hear that? Do you th have you ever thought about that? Does the sound, does it sound different when it's coming towards you than when it's going away from you? I bet you that if you, that next time you hear one, okay, think about it. I think when it's coming towards you, it'll be a higher pitch than when it's going away from you. And why is that? Is because the sound waves that are coming towards you are being compressed because it's moving towards you. When it's going away from you, the sound waves are getting longer and lower in pitch. Okay, so it'll be higher in pitch coming towards you, lower in pitch going away from you. And that's the same thing that the scientists find here. They know what the wavelengths are supposed to be, but what they see is the light coming toward, the light coming from the stars is longer because those stars are moving away from us. Okay. Does that make sense? And so that's how the scientists have figured it out, that the universe is expanding. But it gives them a problem uh, because now if the universe has a beginning, what does, it, what does it need? 
And so I'm going to talk to you for just a minute about the Kalam cosmological argument. And it's a very simple argument, and you can use this with, your, with people that you talk to when they, if they're struggling with this issue. You can say, well, everything that has a beginning to its existence has a cause, right? That's the first step of the argument. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. And almost everybody will agree with that. Now, some, some, very few will not, but most people say, well, everything that begins to exist had a cause, some cause for its existence, right? And so most everybody will agree to that. And then you go, well, the universe had a beginning to its existence. The scientists say that it did. Okay. And so, therefore, what's the conclusion? Therefore, the universe has a cause. Okay. And so, and what's big enough to cause the universe? Who could have created something as immense as the universe? Only God. Right. And so so that's the problem. Matter of fact, my prediction is that the scientists are going to back off and decide again that the universe must be eternal because this this very simple, very powerful argument is a very difficult problem for them at this point. If you're not going to believe that there is a God, okay, if you're going to believe that that everything that begins to exist has a cause, then you've got to try to figure out what the cause of the universe was. Okay, and and that's not easy. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Any? Let me stop there. Any? Any questions? Have I lost you yet or not? Okay, maybe. We'll see. All right. Um, and does the Bible fit with this Kalam cosmological argument? I believe it does. Uh, John one one to three says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God." And then was they all things came into being through him and apart for him from him nothing came into being that has come into being. And so so what about God? Did does he have a cause for his existence or not? Let's think back to the cosmological argument for a minute. Does God have a cause for his existence? No, because he's always existed. That's right. Exactly. God doesn't have beginning or an end, so he doesn't need a cause. Okay? He was uncaused from the beginning. And so and so it fits this Kalam argument. We don't need it we don't need to explain how God got here because he's always been here. But that he brought everything into existence out of his own power. Okay. And so uh, all things came into being through him, through the word, Christ. Uh, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And so the Bible fits the argument very well. And so what's the second of the of the four impossible things? That a Big Bang resulted in a complex, organized universe. Okay? Now, we talked about this a little bit last week. What happens in an explosion? Chaos, right? Somebody's got chaos on their on their name tag or something a minute ago. But chaos—that's what you've got uh, um, in an explosion. And so, is this universe that we have? Would you describe it as chaos today? Not really. I mean, we've got some. Uh, I mean, I talk often about the incredible structure of the stars and 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 the planets and those kind of things. I mean, those. It, it, maybe I'll come back and talk about those at some point, but it's incredibly difficult to believe that those complicated things came about by accident. But what I want you to think about the, 
for right now is an atom. Okay, you've studied an atom, right? When you were in when you were in school at one point, right? You're probably studying them today, aren't you? And so, what what did what do you what do you know about what do you know about atoms? Any what what do you know about atoms? It, what are the parts of an atom? Does anybody know? Okay, that's good. That's good. There are. Let me let me look. Okay, so we've got the electrons, right? And they're kind of kind of in orbit. Now this is a simplistic picture of of chemistry, but they're kind of in orbit around the nucleus, right? And the nucleus has the neutrons and the protons in it, right? And so we talk about this electrons being held in orbit because positive charges. Um, whoops. Okay, quit that. Let's see. Because positive charges and negative charges attract. Right? And so that's how it's explained to you, right? And that's how the atoms hold together, right? And so, but how in the world, let's say we had an explosion and it made all kinds of particles. Does it, does it seem unlikely to you that the electrons and the protons would have exactly the same charge by accident? It turns out that they have exactly the same charge to as close as we can measure it, to about 10 or 12 decimal places. A proton has exactly the same charge as an electron to how many decimal places? One, two, three, four, five, about 10 decimal places. And that's only as close as we can measure it. We presume it's exactly the same because atoms that have the same amount of protons and, and electrons have no charge, right? And so... so I just wanted you to think about that one thing. What are the chances that something would have the same charge to ten decimal places? Seems pretty unlikely to me. The other thing you need to think about is that atom holds together. I think the church is not falling down. We'll see. Okay. Um, there are about 20 different constants in the universe like the speed of light, the the force of gravity, the mass of an electron, the mass of a neutron, the charges and all those kind of things and and the and so but all those 20 different constants in the universe have to be exactly what they are in order for an atom to be stable. If there if any of those 20 things are changed by the tiniest amount, the atom is no longer stable. It flies apart. So What's the universe made of? Well, we're all made of atoms, aren't we? And so if the atoms fly apart, what happens to our universe? We're not in too good a shape, right? There's really no stable universe. And so and so it really is incredibly unlikely for a stable atom to have been formed out of an explosion. Right? But that's what the scientists say. As a matter of fact, when people bring this up to the scientists, they go, they they have a they they have a problem, and they know they have a problem, and that and their theory right now as to how this could be true is that there may there must be an incredible number of universes, and we just happen to live in the one that has everything exactly right for the atom to be stable. Okay, now how many universes do you think they propose there might need to be for this to be true? Well, they've proposed that it's one with 500 zeros after it as to how many universes there are. Okay, now think about that for a minute. One with 
500 zeros after it, okay? And that's how many universes they think there probably are, so that there might be one that has a stable atom, okay? So so I don't, I don't know about you, but I find it hard to believe that that would be true, but... But that's their that's one of their explanations now about how that how that works. Okay. So oh and one other thing I want to tell you, I, I bet they didn't tell you in, in class back there about about how the nucleus holds together, did they? They didn't do that, did they? And let's think about that for a minute. A nucleus of the atom, what it what's it got in it? It's got neutrons and protons, and the neutrons are neutral and the protons are positive. So you've got a bunch of positively charged particles in the nucleus. Well, wait a minute. The nucleus is supposed to hold together. But what are those positive charges going to want to do? They're going to fly apart, right? Well, I bet your teacher didn't tell you about that, did they? Okay, it turns out that just by accident, there is a stronger force in the nucleus that overcomes that that repulsion between the protons and makes the nucleus stable, okay? And it just happens to be exactly the right amount that the 90 or 100 or so elements that we have are all stable, okay? It happens to be just exactly the right amount to overcome the, the repulsion of the protons, okay? And so, so to me, it's just incredibly unlikely that we would have a stable universe out of an explosion like a Big Bang, but that's what that's what the scientists who don't want to believe there's a God think is true. Okay, and I like this verse in Colossians. Uh, it's one of my favorite verses in terms of chemistry, which I know seems crazy, but for by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Talking about Jesus now. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Okay, and so when I think about that verse, I think about the Adam and how he created it such that all things hold together because of the way that he made it. Okay? All right. Sure. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Eternal. It, yeah, yeah. I I don't believe it's infinite either, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if 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 it were eternal, it would have lost by the time we are now. It would have lost all of its energy, and so all the stars would be burned out and everything. And so that's what the second law of thermodynamics says that everything runs downhill. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, uh, he is out. He created the universe, but he is outside of the universe. Okay, and so that really—that's a good point. The second law of thermodynamics doesn't apply to him. No, it doesn't. It just applies to things in the universe. Okay, and he is now. He can come into the universe, but he is. Outside, the most way most Christians look at it is he is outside. He created. No, they don't because he's supernatural. Okay, 
He's and he, but he created those laws within the universe. But those laws, no, they don't apply to him. No, does that make sense? Okay, all right. Yeah. Yeah, that's the strong nuclear force. Yeah, it's it's called the it's called yeah it's yeah scientists are not very good at naming things. Okay, and so that's the strong nuclear force. There's also a weak nuclear force, but that one, the one that holds the nucleus together and holds those protons together is called the strong nuclear force. And it's exactly what it needs to be for atoms to be stable. Just as the weak nuclear force is also just what it needs to be for those to be stable. Okay? All right. Any other questions? Okay. Um, and one of the verse uh, that I like is Hebrews 11.3. By faith... We understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Okay? Now, most everybody reads this verse and says, okay, well, God made everything out of nothing. And I believe He did. But as a chemist, I'm also fascinated that we are made out of things that are not visible. Okay? We can't see atoms. It's impossible for us to see atoms because the light that we see with, the wavelengths are too long for us to be able to see atoms. So we can't, it's not possible for us to see atoms directly, okay? And so, so it's fascinating to me to think about, you know, when people are trying to figure out how, how, what are things made of, you know, and the air, fire, and water, and all the other things that they came up with. But finally people started to realize that we're made out of things that are not visible, okay? And that's what... The Bible said 2,000 years ago, too. Okay. Anyway, uh, so the, what's the third impossible thing? Highly complex chemicals are formed, and they learn how to reproduce. They learn how to come to life. Okay? And so if you're going to have life, what are you going to have? You, you're gonna, something's going to have to come from nothing. Then we're going to have to have a, some kind of a big explosion or something that makes a stable atom single atoms, right? But then when you start putting atoms together, you get molecules. That's what atoms together are, right? Are molecules. And in order to make something like you and me, we have to have some really complicated molecules, right? Really, I'm going to show you a little bit about what those look like. We have to have some really complicated molecules. And what are those chemicals what 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 separates us? What is life? What can what can living things do? They can make more of themselves. They can reproduce. And so somehow, in order to get along this road to the simplest life, we have to we have to make sure we can do that. And so what is this first step? Um, who's heard of Stanley Miller and the experiments that he did? Probably, oh, just a few of you. Probably not many of you. What Stanley Miller did was take chemicals that he thought were present on the early Earth. You know, they think the Earth is... It's billions of years old, and they estimated what the atmosphere might have been back then. And he put water in there, and he put electrical charges in there, and he tried to see what atoms he could, what, what molecules he could make. And it turned out he was able to make a few of the amino acids. Now, okay, let me back up. What, what are we made of? We are made of about 50% of our dry weight is proteins. Okay, who's heard of proteins? Everybody's heard of proteins, right? And so proteins... Where, what about, did your teachers tell you what, what, what parts of you are made of proteins? Does anybody know? No, you don't know. Okay, like your hair. Okay, your hair is protein. Your muscles, 
a protein. You're, um, uh, a lot of us, a lot of your organs, a lot of things that you're made of are made of proteins, okay? And so, uh, and those proteins are really long chains of amino acids, all right? And so if you take, uh, there are 20 different amino acids, and you put them really, and you link them together in really long chains, maybe 400 to 1,000 amino acids, and that's a protein, okay? And so we're made of proteins. So Stanley Miller was really interested. He wanted to make amino acids because that's the building block, one of the building blocks for us, right? And so he did that, and he found that he made two or three amino acids. Now, he made a lot of tar. He made a lot of other things, but he made just a few amino acids, and he thought this was great. This is, must be how life began. Uh, but there's several problems with that, and I'm going to show you those. But one of them is that amino acids come in two forms, okay? And one of them is called a right-handed form, and one of them is called a left-handed form, okay? And I brought some molecules up here. I need, I need a... One of you young ladies want like, yeah, come on up, come on up. Well, I, want, I, need a, I need a volunteer up here. Let's see. I want you to tell me whether these two molecules are the same or not. What do you think, Ellie? Which, what do you think? Just take them and look at them if you want to. What, what do you think? Try to, try to put them close together and see if you can tell if they're the same or not. They've all got, they've both got a, a yellow, oops, one of them fell up. Well, this, this one doesn't, doesn't hang together too well here, this one. They're not the same. They're not the same. Why do you think they're not the same? Um, you hold them similarly. Yeah. What happens? <laughs> That's right. It looks like this, doesn't it? And it looks like one is a mirror image of the other. If you had a mirror here, that's what it would look like. That's right. They're not exactly the same. And and so, thank you. Just like just like Ellie's two hands and your two hands, are they exactly the same? They're not exactly the same, are they? Because your right hand doesn't fit in your left glove, does it? Okay. But these two molecules are essentially identical. They've got the same. They've both got a yellow atom in the middle which stands for a carbon atom. They've got blue, red, and orange on them. They've, they've got the same atoms, but they're just connected in a different way, okay? And so, and if you go in the laboratory and try to make these, you make 50% of one and 50% of the other, exactly, every time. Okay, so every time you go in the laboratory, it's a random process. You make 50% of one and 50% of the other. But... What about the amino acids in your body? Does anybody know? Okay, and so this is a natural situation where you get 50-50. But in your body, every amino acid is left-handed. Okay? Every one of them. Every one of the 20 different amino acids, every one of them in your body is left-handed. Now, how did that happen? that sound like a random process to you? What are the chances that out of 20 amino acids, every one of them would be left-handed. Um, well, it's just like flipping a coin 20 times and coming up with heads every time. Okay, it's not very likely, right? And it turns out that your DNA, which I'm going to show you the structure of later, is made of sugars. And those sugars can also be right-handed or left-handed. What do you think about them? Well, it turns out every one of them is right-handed, every one, okay? And so, and that has to be true because your body wouldn't work right if it weren't that way, okay?
And so I just want to show you how fearfully and wonderfully made you are, exactly like God wanted, in a way that chemists don't even really know how to do that today. I mean, we can separate these two molecules if we have other molecules that are like these, particularly taken from plants that are already divided into the right kind. Okay. But we don't we don't even know really how to how to make them ourselves directly uh but somehow god did and so i believe that since we just have one that's supernatural and it's powerful evidence that you are fearfully and wonderfully made okay um questions about that did that make sense okay good um did our proteins form by chance you know i told you that okay you've got about well, you've got a lot of different proteins in your body. Let's say ten to 20,000, probably more than that. Um, and those proteins are made of amino acids. And in order for the proteins to do what they're supposed to do in the body, they have to be in the right sequence. The amino acids have to be in the right sequence. And so in sequence number, place number one, one of the 20 amino acids is there. Sequence in the second place, a different amino acid. Third, and you can go on like that. And so... I want you to think about for a minute, let's say that uh, average protein is about 400 amino acids. So what do you think the chances are that you'd make a molecule like that by chance? Okay? Each one has 20 different possibilities. It turns out if you calculate, I calculated if you just had an amino acid that was 20, uh, a protein that was 20 amino acids long, now none of them are that short, okay? But if you had one that was just 20 amino acids long, what are the chances that you'd make the right one, okay? And here's the chances right here. It's one in this number, okay, for 20, okay? And so, matter of fact, if you calculate, my calculator couldn't do the calculation, okay? It came up with an error when I when I did the calculation. Um, and if you if you do it, if you estimate it, it would be about one with 500 zeros after it. Okay, just like I was telling you a minute ago what the chances of the other thing was, of uh, how many universes we might have. Um, and so it's about one with 500 zeros to make one protein. Not 10,000, not 20,000 proteins, but just to make one protein that way takes an incredible, incredibly unlikely thing to happen oh and by the way when i was telling you about the universes before there's no evidence of any kind that there's another universe besides the one that we're in okay the scientists are just suggesting that there might be okay without any evidence that there is okay and one other thing about these proteins is that you know would they have been formed on the early earth it turns out that they wouldn't even because water breaks down proteins into amino acids not the other way around. And so there was a good deal of water on the early earth, and so what would have happened? Even if you started to make a protein, the water would break it down back into amino acids. And so so it wouldn't really work. Um, let's see, and I'm going to show you I'm going to show you a video now. I hope you can see it. Um, I'm going to need to turn my sound off. I'm going to try to narrate this for you. This is how proteins get built in your body okay this is a video done by Howard Hughes Medical Institute and it's going to show you give you an idea of how the proteins in your body get built let me let me show you that okay 
Let me turn that. Whoops. Okay. Well, let me turn that. Always playing through that. Sorry, I can't stop. Um, let me hang on a second. Let me back it back up. Let me start again. Okay. This is the information coming out of your cell and your in the nucleus of each cell. Here it comes out of the nucleus. This is an RNA molecule that was made from your DNA. This is a ribosome right here. That's the molecule that makes your proteins, okay? And it takes the information from the mRNA and makes the protein here in red. I'll show you how it works in a minute. Okay. Here's the, here's the mRNA, and there's the ribosome clamping around the chain. And it feeds that chain through the ribosome. It takes the information from that chain, and it picks out the right one of these molecules that are floating around. There are 20 different of them. The amino acid of each one is, at the, red, is the red tip. And so here comes the information. It's picking out the right one and adding the next amino acid to the chain each time. Okay? And look how fast it's going. This is kind of the right speed. So what do you think about that? Is that did you did you grasp what's going on? So this so the DNA in your nucleus makes an makes an RNA. That RNA comes out of the nucleus. It's fed through this kind of ribosome, which I'm calling the machine, okay, and each one of your amino acids has a big molecule attached to it, and that big molecule fits, it takes three of the, of this sequence here, each three attached to three to this lower part of each one of these molecules here, and so it picks out this gives the information, this ribosome picks out the right green molecule to put the next amino acid in the chain on there. Is that what what is? Growth. What's It adds on. Okay. No, no. What what it is is each um I should have brought a molecule. Think about uh, let's see, how would we do that? Um, you remember when your your kids had these blocks back when we were growing up, and you'd stick them together in long chains? You remember that? Think of the amino, think of the protein that way. Okay, and each one of the blocks was a different shape. Remember that? And so think of those with 400 of them. Okay. Okay. What are they? Okay. What are they? Okay. It's like it's like. Okay. It's like your hair. Okay, let's say that you're going to make a protein molecule that makes hair. Okay, and so it has to be, I know this isn't easy, okay, but, okay, so there, there are 20 different amino acids. Okay, in order to make hair, you have to have, let's say, amino acid A in the first place and C in the second place and, and Q in the next place and Z in the next place, and you have to make it in the right sequence so that it looks like hair. 
okay? And so your muscles have a totally different sequence in that, okay? And so what you're doing is adding a block to the chain every time, okay? And when your block gets up to about 400 to 1,000 long, it's now a big molecule, and it now acts like hair, okay? Or acts like a muscle. And so, And each one of the proteins has different parts to it, and and you put the blocks together in a different sequence so that it has a so that it does a different thing okay does that make sense okay and so it's 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 incredible i mean that that there's an incredible amount of information in you in your dna and we're going to talk about that here in a minute whoops i'm about to run out of time we're going if if i if i have a minute to do that but anyway so that's what that's what's incredibly complicated about you is all the information that came that from your DNA. Okay, your DNA is. I mean, uh, all the time. Yeah, because your cells, are, your well, hair's not a good example. Your skin cells, they're sloughing off and and leaving you all the time, and they're and they need to be rebuilt, repaired. And so, yeah, all this is going on inside of you all the time. There are about, in each cell, there are thousands and thousands of these ribosomes in each cell. And there are 100 trillion cells in your body, okay? And so 100 trillion cells in your body. Each one of those cells has thousands and thousands and thousands of these, of these uh, ribosomes. And each one of them is all the time making another protein. And the DNA is telling them which protein to make all the time. Okay. <laughs> it's hard to imagine, isn't it? It is. And, and let me just show you real quick. Um, uh, we don't have time to go through all this, but here's a picture of your DNA. Okay. And DNA is also a long chain of a molecule, except instead of being 400 molecules long, it's 3 billion molecules long. Okay, and that's the information that's in you that's telling your body how to make you. Okay, it's telling your body how to make your eyes, how to make your hair, how to make your liver, how to make your toes, everything. Okay, and so, but that, but that three billion letter sequence, which is equivalent to roughly the information in 6,000 books. Okay, it, it's actually more than that, but it's the, the, roughly, if you look at it, the information to make you and we're all different. All of our DNA sequence, all in this room, everybody has a different DNA sequence. Yeah, just no problem, right? This totally chance is no problem. I mean, this all came together by chance. Okay. And so I've got another quick video. Maybe I'll have a minute to show you too. But, but I just want you to think about that. That's where the information is. Okay. And, and in order, uh, let me show you one other video. I think you'll be uh, as amazed by this one, too. In order to make a new cell, what would we have to do? See, D your DNA is in every one of your cells, every one of your 100 trillion cells. It's the same DNA. Okay, and so your, your muscles and your nerves and your eyes and all everything has the same DNA in it. So that DNA tells every, there's 210 different kind of cells in your body. That same DNA is telling every one of those 200 cells how to be the kind of cell it's supposed to be. Okay? Does that make sense? And if you're going to make another cell, what do you have to do? You're going to have to make another copy of your DNA. Right? And so that's real simple, too. Let me show you how that works. Okay. 
this is this is how that works. Okay, here's here's your DNA coming in. Now, I don't know whether you noticed or not, but DNA is two molecules and it's wrapped around itself. Okay, the first thing you have to do is unwrap the DNA from and make two strands and then copy both of them and then they wrap back up together again. Okay, and here it is coming. Here it is coming in here. One strand goes this way, one strand goes that way. Copying one strand is easy because it's going the right direction. Well, easy. Okay. It's unwound. Here it's, it's un being unwound at 10,000 RPM. Okay, faster than your car goes. Okay. It's being unwound. This one going this way, and it's copied by an enzyme over here. The other chain is going the other direction, so it has to be turned around and copied backwards and spliced back in. Okay, to do that. And here you see that happening. Okay, that chain is being copied around and spliced back in. Take another big loop, copied around, spliced back in. And it needs to be done exactly right or your cell doesn't work right. Right? <laughs> and so, yeah, this it, it tells you a lot about this. It's going to be, it, it's, it, it's hard for, um, it's hard to understand, but I want you to at least get the picture of you've got a 3 billion molecule chain, actually two of them wrapped around each other. You have to unwrap them, you have to copy each one separately, and now you have two sets, one for the old cell and one for the new cell. And so then now you divide and you have two cells when you had one. And so in order for anything to reproduce, because it's all based on that information, so whether it's a bacteria or whether it's a human body cell, you have to copy the DNA. So even in the simplest organism, you have to have this mechanism to copy. Matter of fact, this this is actually bacterial DNA that they're showing you here that's actually copying itself so that it can reproduce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the question is, how do they know how to do all this? Uh, we don't know. Uh, Okay. Yes, we do. Uh, as a scientist, if you ask a scientist, if he were honest with you, he would say he doesn't know. Okay. But I know. I mean, and you know. God did it. I mean, God, the, that's, and that's the point I'll try to leave you with cause, and, and answer the rest of your questions. But, but and that's why, and, and that, my last point, well, let me just say my last point real quick, is what's the last thing? That simple life has to become more complex. Okay, so you have to take bacteria now. The last step that's impossible is you take bacteria and you make human beings out of them. Okay. How do you do that without the input of information? And that's what I'm saying is God's where the information came from. It's just like when we create something. Do things get created by accident? Okay. Do cell phones get created by accident? Well, no. People know how to do this somehow, and they do it, right? And so... The inf and so what I'd argue is is that even simple life is complicated, okay, because you're seeing this mechanism that as is in the simplest life. But even we are the most complicated, okay, and you can't make simple life. You can't take the pieces of bacteria and make a human being. And that's what evolution would try to tell you, okay. If I come back sometime, I can give you more detail on that. But But that's what, but to me... In order to make something complicated like this, you need information.
And to make something as incredibly complex as you, you need an incredible amount of information how to do that. And, and God provided that. A lot of the information of telling the molecules what to do and how to do it is in the DNA. Okay, but I'm convinced that not all the information is in the DNA. Okay, just based on what I've seen. Now, there's an incredible amount of information in DNA, and as I've studied it, I'm just astounded that anybody could believe that it came about by accident. Uh, you know, and, and the scientists thought they had it figured out. They, they thought that all DNA was, did was code for proteins, and that only took about 2% of the DNA to do that. And they said, well, all the rest of it is just junk. Okay, and that's where you've heard of junk DNA. That's where that phrase came from because, well, 2% codes for proteins and the rest of it is just junk. Okay, well, it can't be because there's incredible control mechanisms in your body and, and, and incredible other things that have to go on. And so now they're beginning to find that, well, the rest of the DNA has something to do with how the body's built too. And they're starting to figure it out. And now they're up to about 70 to 80%, they believe, has a, has a function. Okay, I believe it all does. Okay, and I believe that we could go for centuries and still not even understand it all. Okay, but I'm but I'm convinced based on what I've seen is that a lot of the information is in the DNA. But I'm also convinced that there's a lot of information in there that we don't, you know, that we don't we don't have any clue about how it works because, I mean, the DNA tells each cell how to be a cell, but how does that process get started? I mean, you started from two cells. And now you're 100 trillion, and all your cells are different. Not all; there are 200 different kind of cells in your body. So how did all that happen? Uh, it's it's astounding when you look at it. But uh, it, it's just hard. But to me, if you just stand back and look at it, you've got to be in awe of what God did. Okay, and so um, uh, and so I am as as a scientist because I can't do anything like what's up here on the screen. I mean. That's way beyond what I could dream about doing, okay? That, that just the incredible uh, complexity of what goes on and the speed at which it goes on. It, it's just astounding. So, yeah. Other questions? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. 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 It does. It does. And uh, you know, I mean, this—the last one I showed you. There are many, many different enzymes that work together to to make that to reproduce that DNA. I mean, that, that what you saw on the screen is only a, probably a third to a quarter of what actually is going on. They can't put it up there because you can't follow it. Okay, it's so complicated about what's going on. So, yeah, so it, it's just it, it's just it's beyond my comprehension about how how to do any of that. But but scientists, we are starting to figure out how some of it works. And and you'd think you'd think that the more that the more we see this and the more we understand about it, the more we would give glory to God for what He's done. But the opposite basically is true. The more we figure out, the more we think we're smarter and we, you know, and we can explain it all. We can explain how all these things came about naturally. Okay. And so to me, it just, 
doesn't make any sense to 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 believe that it came about by some kind of natural process. So anyway. Any other questions anybody's got? Anybody? Other questions? All right. Let me uh let's see, where do I want to end up here? Oh yeah. Here's a the simplest cell over here on the left. Okay. And then one of the most complicated things on the right there. Albert Einstein in one of his less serious moments. But but even the most even the simplest cell is incredibly complicated. Let's see. Yep. I've talked about most of this stuff. Matter of fact, let me just let me let me end with this. The evolutionists would tell you that that mutation that, that new things come about from DNA by mutations. Who's heard of mutations? Everybody's probably heard of that. And basically a mutation is a change of one letter for another in that three billion letter sequence. Okay. And the analogy I like to use that a friend of mine came up with was just take a complicated manual for how you make something and randomly change letters in it. What happens if you just randomly change letters in a book? What happens? It just becomes unintelligible. Right. And so that's what you'd ex- what I would expect to happen in the DNA. And and that's basically DNA does basically go downhill if with random mutations. The scientists claim that natural selection fixes all that, but there's really no way to do that. And so, but um, but let me let me just end with this verse. I like I like this verse. For you formed my inward parts; you wove me together in my mother's womb. I give thanks to you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful, wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. I think that's a good place to end because it's a what God's done is just it's beyond our comprehension but I hope that's helped you I hope that you you see that there's no way that you came about by accident that there are four impossible things at least that you need to believe if you're going to believe that God doesn't exist so thank you all for your attention if you got any questions just come on up later I'll be glad to I'll be glad to answer them Oh wait a minute! One one thing I forgot. Oh, hang on just a second. Um, they wanted me to pass out. Um, uh, what do you call these? Um, just to see how you like the course. Let me. Here you go. Let me. Yeah, survey. Won't you let me do that real quick? Let's see. Those. There we go. There we go. Try those. Hey, Mark. Let's see. Here's some more. You need some more. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you guys need a couple more. There you go. There you go. There's some pens coming. If you what? Oh yeah, I think so. Let's see. Any, we have any extras over there? Down at the end of the rows.